Hello, hello. Howdy doody. We're back. <laughs> Finally. After a brocation and a couple illnesses, <laughs> yeah, like we're back. Forever and ever. We went on a trip together to the nation's capital. Yeah, for what might seem like an entire month. Yep. <laughs> it sure was. <clears throat> We've been living in a hotel for a month, just, you know, getting tooled around. Yeah, yeah. And... uh I mean, just signing autographs. I guess we did basically. get tooled around a little bit up there. Everywhere we, we went. Yeah. We yeah, never I mean, drove once. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't. We I s- never drove once. Started to try to take the bus to somewhere we didn't know. Oh, but. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that'll come up, I'm sure, later. Because yeah. this week's topic is Washington, D.C. Yeah. So, the District of This Columbia. is name here. You know? Right. In case it's just you, like Smartless. <laughs> right. In case you <clears throat> thought you were listening to Smartless. This is the Smartless <laughs> 2.0 so <laughs> we got the smart list covered that's <laughs> there you go uh yeah if you want to you know send us some emails about how much you miss us or whatever it's internet here podcast at gmail.com oh you stole my thunder i guess it's internet yeah. here on facebook and internet here uh on podcast internet here podcast on uh instagram <laughs> where you can you. see pictures of how we got around dc my brain wanted to say instapod <clears throat> one day so anyways we uh we missed out on some fun stuff <laughs> we did because uh the big news when we were gone was uh you did tell me you had some big news yeah this was um where was this it was in alabama i believe <clears throat> leeds alabama where a man is in custody this was a couple weeks ago i guess and was also taken to a hospital for mental health treatment after he jumped naked into a massive aquarium at the Bass Pro Shop in Leeds. Um, Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, they have huge aquariums with fish and stuff where you can actually, I think you can actually fish in some of these really big mega stores. does sound pretty cool, I guess. Excuse me. Um, They, uh, it happened about, this, okay, Police Chief Paul Irwin said the incident happened about near closing time. That's what the article says. I love it. It's Alabama. So, and what's the? Uh, where's this published? Like, what's? The... Oh, this is on that. This is on al dot com. Alabama dot com. Alabama dot com. As a forty-two-year-old man was reported to be acting erratically and drove a vehicle into a pole in the store parking lot. Oh wow! After the crash, he jumped out of the vehicle, took off his clothes, ran into the Bass Pro Shop, and dove into the aquarium. Video taken by bystanders, which I can't find. (laughs) Yeah. Weirdly enough, um, showed the man do a cannonball into the aquarium (laughs) and later stand under the waterfall. So he's like jumping in and swimming around and jumping, (laughs) climbing around naked. Having a good time. As the two lead, as two Leeds police officers, the town is Leeds, L-E-E-D-S, began to walk up the stairs to the top of the aquarium. The man exited the water, yelled something to the officers, and then dove back into the water. I'm sure we know what he said to the officers. He said, hey, have a great day. Yeah, something like that. Like, That's what naked guys yeah. jumping into Thank you for all you do. fishing ponds, mm-hmm. indoor fishing ponds. <laughs> um, After running into a pole in the parking lot. Right. And he's swimming around, continuing to shout something to officers before he climbed over the side of the aquarium, dropped out of the aquarium onto the concrete floor, and appears to have been knocked out by the fall. <laughs> All right, so get, this is even better. This story just keeps getting better. We missed this, and, this and now you're getting to catch Florida. up. No, but it's like, you know, Florida's 
uh, <laughs> oh right, it's brother Alabama. husband, right? It's yeah, like brother husband. <laughs> um, officers handcuffed the man, who then woke up and began to try to struggle. Began to try to struggle. That's what this article says. Yes. <laughs> uh, someone covered with a blank, covered him with a blanket, and then they took him from the store. They said he was only in the water for about five minutes, but that's a long time. Yeah. To be naked in a giant store's aquarium <laughs> pond. That's a hell of an entrance. It's, a, <laughs> um, it's like something you'd do in Grand Theft Auto if you could. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor would do that. Uh, he was taken to a hospital for mental evaluation and then booked into the St. Clair County Jail. Wow. Um, George Owens of Starrett is charged with public lewdness, disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, and assault on a police officer, two counts of first-degree criminal mischief, and two counts of reckless endangerment. Yeah, yeah, all those That's things. a lot of things. And he's, like, forever on a video naked. <laughs> jump, and, yeah. I'm sure, and he got out and said, hello, officers, <laughs> welcome to the pool. I mean, I think his biggest <clears throat> crime was just the boldness of it all. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I have a feeling that they might get some other charges on him. I mean, they probably could. Like, you know, you know just there because, was nothing in there about, like, p- possession of drugs or, like, under the influence of anything right i mean it sounds like he was but that's an assumption i mean like he could right. have some other issues i didn't look up where leeds alabama is right. but i mean yeah some, could have some like uh, things going on in his head that you know yeah so uh <laughs> that aren't drug related yeah crazy alabama white guy yeah wow gosh man. alabama man yeah alabama man <laughs> they're starting to move north or northwest <coughs> that's true right wow um did you did, you said you had more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go ahead. I only have one story. Uh, and we'll save it. Well, I don't think you're it can talking follow about going, that one up very well. Well, so. I mean, it might because this is from Kentucky, going farther north. All <laughs> oh, right, but Kentucky. <laughs> uh, one of their lawmakers is named Nick Wilson. He's a Republican, and uh, he he's a former winner of uh, Survivor. Oh wow! All like right. season thirty-seven, which was you know wow, eighteen years ago and three years ago. I don't know. Yeah, their seasons are all season like of, 97 or something yeah, like that. It's like, but they, they have like eight a on. year. <laughs> um, he uh, had to hastily scrap a proposed measure that he uh, put forth into the state legislature. And uh, that if approved, would have unintentionally legalized sex between first cousins. <clears throat> unintentionally legal okay he claims it was a gaffe and he he did rescind the bill and then re admit it with the wordage of first cousin because right. the bill is talking about uh it says during the drafting process of the bill there's an inadvertent change which struck first cousins from the list of relationships under the incest statute and i failed to add it back in and then he said, today, during today's session, this was last week, I will withdraw the measure and refile a bill with the first cousin language intact. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's like, he's basically saying, you can't, you, can do, you can't do incest unless it's first cousins. It's basically what the bill was saying. <laughs> right. Um, Which one would like to think was an honest uh, error. It seems to be, yeah, but yeah. he also was just facing a lot of backlash because it was like, it named everything from like brother, sister, niece, nephew, mother, father, step, <laughs> grand, uncle, everything. Just, right. And then just left out the first didn't cousin. Didn't put first cousin in. I think it even might have said second cousin. Right. Interesting. Um, many United States states 
many of the United States would be a better way to put there it. There you go. Including Kentucky, outright prohibit marriages marriages between first cousins, while nineteen states and the District of Columbia allow such a union. Hmm. Uh, some hmm. states, like Arizona and Maine, allow marriages between first cousins with certain exceptions. I don't know what the exception. You're two first cousins, too close of first <laughs> I mean, cousins. Like, what more of an exception <clears throat> do you need? Yeah. Anyway. Um, the Commonwealth of Kentucky defines incest as deviant sexual intercourse or sexual contact with a person whom he or she knows to be his pa- his or her parent, child, grandparent, grandchild, great-grandparent, great-grandchild, uncle, aunt, nephew, niece, brother, sister, first cousin, ancestor, or descendant. So it listed everything, and he just took out every – he did every other word in that, but somehow just missed the first cousin part. <laughs> so, you know, be careful out there if you've got cousins right. in, in Kentucky. Well, maybe <clears> – <throat> Again, maybe to his credit, although not, because he should at least be reading over it like someone else was like, yeah, I mean, putting he, that document he, he together. Some but, intern yeah, or something. Right. But he, you know, needs to read over or that. Or a page or something like right. that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Huh. But Yeah, that, all kinds of stuff but the, the great thing is, is <laughs> Kentucky's ex-survivor lawmaker. Right. Like, that. that is the most ridiculous part of that. Because it actually has nothing at all to do with the story except the fact that that's true that's, like, what he ran on was being the survivor winner basically yeah i mean i guess you're gonna use that if <laughs> I mean, I, it doesn't make me want to vote for somebody anymore I mean, look, but when we know. were in dc we walked around and people recognized us they they were asking for autographs oh, and, things. It, and it was a little difficult it Not was surprising that, yeah it was surprising I've, I've been through some bad situations mm-hmm. I've never had to wear a disguise before. But. Right, but I think it could be soon that we might have to. So I kind of understand, but I mean, we didn't walk around saying, hey, here we are. This guy's like whole thing is like, hey. Here I am. We're con- I'm, con- I'm a lawmaker, and I'm a survivor winner. Right, season 37, maybe. <clears throat> yeah, I don't even remember what season it is. I, I, he won the 2018 competition survivor. I think he was on the all-stars or something i mean like it that. is a you know it's it's an impressive thing to have done in my opinion but maybe i want to see like, what's behind the cameras and then sure. we'll see how impressive it i don't is. think that there's any less to put up with even though we don't see it you know what i mean right like, well, i think it would probably be a pain pe- in the ass you're being <laughs> kept in a corner <laughs> right. with people that you don't like yeah and then you still have to do all this shit and you have like. to be on a tv show <laughs> right. and they probably are like hey you got to be active Doing right. stuff, or we're going to get rid of you I mean, no matter think what. Think of what they edit out of all of that. <clears throat> oh, but there's a lot of like just sitting around staring yeah, at the ocean sure. or whatever. So yeah, yeah. There's anyway, probably a lot of drinking, right? Like I don't think it's uh, always the party that maybe it seems like it could be, but yeah. maybe not. I don't yeah. know. So um, some of those shows maybe, but you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Right. That, that's what I want to watch is a show of the things that are going on during the other show. But as long as there's a camera around, especially these days, people aren't going to act natural. That's right. <laughs> I mean, dogs might, like, though. I mean, maybe dogs, <clears throat> but even then. Even then. Maybe dogs. Although that's kind of a good segue into my story, All right. actually, because uh, I found this interesting uh, headline on New York Times. uh says, our rodent sel- selfies ourselves. Um, this photographer trained uh, two rats to take photographs of themselves, and they didn't want to stop once they really? started. Yeah, they basically, uh, the guy set up like a Skinner test, you know, where like 
the uh, mouse hits the button to get the right. treat sort of thing. Yeah. And so he started this one out that Pavlov's, way. The Pavlov's dogs kind of thing. Yeah. And like, but eventually took the treat away and the, they would get the treat intermittently. So of course they were hitting the button to get the treat, but eventually they stopped even worrying about getting the treat and just kept taking pictures. Of really? Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, oh, I there's see like it. some pictures of it. Like, oh, that's yeah, cute. Yeah. They're pretty cute. But yeah, they that's... were like, they just, kept taking selfies of themselves oh, like there's no. a lot to the article which i'm not gonna read but essentially yeah. like they found that like yeah they they don't really understand it necessarily well, their like, brains probably adapt quicker right. because their lifespan is so short and so there's like and plus there's so many more generations yeah that because, like, well, like you know in in 10 years you could have 100 generations and then they're true. learning things whereas like you know in 10 years you don't have a new generation i of guess humans. it's like what are you learning <clears throat> because the guy said he was could, like could he, they see the pictures well he the, the photographer there the could, all the people running it said they rat. didn't feel like um they didn't feel like the they were reacting to the pictures of themselves but like it just didn't seem evident that that was something that they but were could the like, rats see the pictures that they were taking well that's what i'm saying like it didn't oh. appear that they were recognizing it like as a picture of them, oh, like of huh. anything like, well maybe they just thought yeah, it was like literally. hot rats they're like damn <laughs> right. that one looks good yeah like maybe they felt like it was these other ones would show up or something like yeah, <laughs> it yeah. kept huh. like yeah. I don't know. It was really weird. But at first, you know, they were doing it for the treats. And now they're and, and now they're TikTok like, influencers, <laughs> right? And now they're TikTok influencers. I mean, again, you can look the article up and read it. I, I was just I thought that was pretty uh, interesting. And then we were just saying that about you know people being on video because it, then yeah. it's unnatural. But like apparently, even mice will start like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. you know, like I yeah. agree. I'd like to see a show where. You could see the reality show being made, sort of thing. Like, yeah, but I guess you're right. It wouldn't be. Like, it would always be, like, edited to some degree. I mean, it just has to be, unless you're doing it without the other people knowing it, right. which you can't really do. I mean, you can, but <laughs> yeah, we've all been to the swimming pool, <laughs> right, or the dressing rooms, you know, wherever, right, <laughs> or in your bedroom window. Oh. It could be foreshadowing for some other stuff. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, mine faces the parking lot, so be careful. Oh. <laughs> Somebody's going to see you. <laughs> I purposely get in front of the window. Take a look at this. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I just open the blinds. Um, have at it. Yeah. They scare them away before they get the wrong idea. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's what, now you know a little bit more about both of us. Yeah, moving on. Uh, <laughs> we'll go to Pittsburgh real quick. There we go. Let's do it. Uh, this Pittsburgh couple. Go Bears. I mean, <laughs> go Ligers. <laughs> the Aardvarks of Pittsburgh. Uh, there's a Pittsburgh couple decided for some reason they were going to keep this envelope at their house with $4,000 cash in it. Hmm. Now it only has $3,550 cash in it. Is that the end of the story? Yep, the end. <laughs> Figure um, out what happened. <laughs> Clayton, Clayton and Carrie Law. Uh, we're having a fence installed at their home and uh, Point Breeze neighborhood, which does not sound like a neighborhood that you'd find in Pittsburgh. Point but, Breeze? Yeah. Like, you mean Windy Road? <laughs> <laughs> Windy-ass hilltop? Old Soot Hill or something like that, you know? Like, you know, Steel Way. Yeah, Windy-ass hilltop avenue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the workers requested to be paid in cash. So... Uh, 
Clayton left an envelope filled with $4,000 in hundreds and fifties on the kitchen counter. Hmm. A good place to leave it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, 30 minutes later, he returned and found Cecil, or maybe Cecil. <laughs> Let's uh, go with Cecil. Their seven-year-old golden doodle. Uh, making a meal out of the cash. Oh, my goodness. I walked back into the room, and then this, all this cash was on the ground. He's just like this, standing there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he ate some of this money, and I was in shock. I yelled to Carrie, he ate the money. He ate $4,000. Uh, this guy told KDKA-TV. Oh, this is great. Uh, a couple said about trying to reassemble the shredded bills and came up with $1,500 worth of bills with serial numbers that were intact enough to have them replaced by their bank. Oh, wow. A couple more bills were retrieved later in the evening when <laughs> Cecil vomited, but the rest of the money involved a lot of waiting Ugh. and a whole lot of very dirty work, it says. I yeah. bet. Uh, they s- sifted through this dog shit for the next two days and used a utility sink to wash the shreds of paper so it could be taped back together. Oh. Uh, then <laughs> Carrie, the, the wife, says, I never thought I'd be able to say that I've laundered money, but there is apparently a first time for everything. Uh, These well people done. are punny, I well guess. Well done. Uh, and they were able to salvage, like I said, $3,550. I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive. This might be the best part of the story. The couple said they're going to mail the rest of the bill remnants to the U.S. Treasury Department in the hopes of recovering more of the money. Right. That's a good thing. Here's some shit money. Yeah. We want more. Here, you take it. Um, but if not, they will be at least have a fun story to tell their son one day. Oh. Um, I don't know what their son's name is. It probably starts with a C. So <laughs> he's know. he's Cecil. Clap. The dog was Cecil. Clap, clap. Their son, clap, <laughs> clap. Law. Clayton. That's dad. Uh, we've kept at least one of the torn up bills, so we can do a piece of artwork and frame it to commemorate the entire situation. Not that we'd ever forget, Carrie says. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, that's, whew, excuse me, goodness. That's they, a pretty good one, though. They said that Cecil is normally, it might be Cecil. I'm going with Cecil. Yeah, I mean, now that it's we've funnier. started saying Cecil. Uh, they said he's normally well well behaved and has never so much as stolen food from the counter, but he's out of the doghouse now. We couldn't be mad at him. He's a very lovable dog. So. I mean, he ate their shit. They, you know, they got a picture from their video, and like, yeah, I wonder what dude's it was. a rocker, man. He's got long hair. He looks like a Dave Grohl with like some guns and tattoos and stuff. Like, not the dog. No, no. Oh, that, I thought you were talking about. That doesn't look like a golden doodle because the dog is brown-headed and white-bellied. Uh-huh. Dog's sitting up. Hmm. They call it a golden doodle. Is that a golden retriever and a poodle? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess it could be any color. We've seen some golden I guess it doesn't have to do with, with white gold. bellies. I guess it doesn't have to do with the color then. Not necessarily, yeah. Because are they with a golden poodle to begin with? If you know. I mean, <laughs> that's a, another whole thing. I, although I bet you there's a, a vet out there listening, a veterinarian, that is. Um, or a vet. You know. Don't or discriminate. There, there may be some vets, could too. Could be some like, guy in Korea. But I was thinking Navy. more specifically of a person that can we maybe. We could have a Space Force uh, admiral listening. Well, how about the veterinarians and the Space Force admirals and anyone of the like? Uh, send us an email. Yeah, there you go. Enter name here. Pod- and if it's hate-filled, dip, address it to uh, R.E. Chris. R.E. Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I just go by Chris. <laughs> well, when he when he's here, when he's gone, he goes about something different. Uh, so that's yeah. uh, 
Wow, some happy fun news. New Year. I told you there's going to be some good news stories. Right? That was good. Yeah, we didn't wish everybody a happy new year. I just said that. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, we had Happy new year. Yeah, welcome Sorry to we've 2024. Left you. We had some resolutions we yeah. had to not attend to. Yeah, maybe we all needed a break. Who knows? Seems like so far we're doing great. Yeah. It's like smartless, but better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, who needs uh, Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and Sean Hayes and yeah, right. whatever? Name dropping, guys. Yeah. Somebody just send it, send us to them. <laughs> yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll eat hot wings or whatever. Wouldn't that be great? Chris if we will were... freestyle. <laughs> if, dude, if we get on Smartless, I might freestyle. I might. I might. We'll make our new. Uh, Still a maybe. <laughs> that might be our new uh, theme song. <laughs> it could be. Okay, yeah. so so we're not getting on Smartless. So we're going to be talking about DC, right? We are. That's and our we theme. We were looking up earlier. We had no idea. There's only 716,000 people that live in D.C. That kind of shocked me when we brought it up earlier. 712,816. I mean, Sorry. it's not a, a very large place. but yeah, It's a lot Land of wise, empty space so because we spend a lot of time walking. <laughs> When they show we you did. on the map, they're like they make the map deceiving. Well, we're standing there. There's like no way that's a mile away. Like yes, sir, it is, sure is a fucking mile away. Yeah. Well, excuse my language. It's like it's the, to walk from one place to the other is like walking through our downtown yeah. twice. It's like you can see it. And it looks and like, like it's oh, fifty yards. That's the next door. Like here's a door, and then two. Or eight town blocks later is the door to the next building. For real though, like we have, we yeah. we did a lot of walking. We in we the rain. That we should have gotten two of the big uh, penny farthings that we Chris rode. Yeah, I couldn't get up on the mine. So <laughs> yeah, it, was, um, it was a good time. Good time. And uh, I think both of our stories are going to have something to do with like probably the police are involved in it. Let's be honest. Uh, police definitely make an appearance in my story. Okay. Well, they're mm-hmm. definitely featured in mine as well. Yeah. Uh, so, of the top eh, top twenty uh, largest local police departments in the United States, where would you say that Washington D.C. ranks as far as in the top twenty most sworn full time largeness? Yeah, I'm going to put them in the top ten, probably seven. Oh, good guess, because they're number six. Oh, wow. With, yeah. with approximately 3,400. This was one of the only ones that's approximate. Hmm. Uh, 3,400. <laughs> Interesting. They're probably some they can't talk about. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, 3,400 full-time sworn officers in D.C. In a comparison, how many do you think, uh, let's say, Los Angeles has? As far as where it's ranked? Yeah. Well, how many, how many officers, full sworn officers... Do you think Los Angeles Police Department has? Would you say it was 340? 3,400 in D.C. I'm sorry, 3,400 in yeah. D.C. Um, oh, wow. LA. I bet you it's uh, probably not much more in L.A., 3,500. 9,059. Oh, wow. I was going to guess that they were really doing it bad. Yeah. But okay. And that 9, ranks 000. number three. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because it's um, huge. Chicago <laughs> has 11,722. Really? Yeah. Wow. And New York City has the largest. How many sworn officers do you think that New York City has? Because Chicago was two. Oh, uh, Chicago was 11,722. Okay. New York City is the number one. How but many Chicago was the number two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sorry. 20,000. New York City Police Department has 33,541 wow. as of October <laughs> of last year. That much more. So they have about 30,000 more than D.C. Remember, mm. D.C. is the most dangerous place on earth. Well, right. I yeah. mean, Chris and I, between the autographs and the running from crime, it was exhausting. <laughs> Actually, except for 
a few people working in the museums, everyone was so damn nice. Yes. It was, uh, yeah. you know, even nicer than I expected people. Even the yeah, lady that we... shit her pants on the, on the Metro <laughs> right. and made grown women and men, serious people for the most part, <laughs> run from one end of the car to the yeah, other. Literally. <laughs> but she never once batted an eye from her uh, no. no bubble bash session that she was on but she wasn't shitty about it (laughs) (laughs) anyway so back to the dc yeah we don't know where the police were in this situation when that lady shit her pants yeah they were not to be none of the 3400 were around in fact i'm not sure i ever actually saw well i saw like the um i think the the uh like metro police but well, the thing they, is with dc is there's so many different police that are there there's right. fbi there's local police right. like um, that's what i was thinking when you asked national park police the, smithsonian no. police like there's so many different ones so right. you see police but not like the police police yeah yeah they're they're you all know, over i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being the metro police but i mean sure. if you run from him i don't know how serious he's going to take it as if you run from like a city cop. Well, yeah, like here in, um, in town, it's like Bert, the university, the campus police versus the town police. It's right. like, you know, right. how much can I mean, we had to deal with some police end. because, you know, bringing the crowds back. Right. You know, oh, yeah, like us. Obviously. Yeah, right. But, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, we set that up beforehand. Yeah, like, we had we, to get I mean, a permit. It, it was more than we thought, so we should have had more police. <laughs> Anyways. But, so yeah, that's uh, kind now of that a, I hear how many they have. Thirty four hundred, amazing. <laughs> Only thirty thousand more or less than uh, New York City. Yeah, I thought so, when you asked L.A. that it was going to be some incredibly small number, but, but no, they, yeah, it yeah, jumps yeah, pretty big. Yeah, from, yeah. that's they're good because it's a large place. <laughs> yeah. So hmm. all right. So anyways, I guess that we decided that you're going first this week. Well, I think uh, yeah, that's apparently what I earned for going last last time. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're, kind we're of, snaking through them. Although here. I guess at one time I said that I preferred going first. Well, mine's a. I think mine's going to end up being a little bit long, so we'll go ahead and Uh-oh. get started. Um, but it, yeah, it's. I'll be, talk really fast, right? Mine um, is about something I had heard of, but never really looked into, and it's uh, the murder of Robert Wan, spelled W O N E. Hmm. Um, he was uh, murdered the night of August second, two thousand six. But um, before we talk about the murder and everything, we'll just tell about who he is a little bit. Like, let us know who Robert Eric Wan was. He was, um, at the time of being murdered, he was only 32. He is fourth generation generation Chinese American who was actually born in New York City. Um, ended up going to the College of William and Mary here in our very own state of Virginia. Commonwealth. Yeah. He uh, went there as a James Monroe scholar, uh, and he met a guy there um, who was older than him. This guy was a senior when he was a freshman. Uh, His name was Joseph Price. Um, They met in 1992. Um, Juan and Price shared several activities, including an honor society and student government leadership position um, before Price graduated in 1993. Sorry, I read that horribly. Juan graduated from William, William and Mary in 96 and then received his Juris Doctor degree with honors from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. So, wow. dude was going to be a lawyer. Okay. At, at first. <clears throat> anyway, he uh, then served as a law clerk to a judge um, in the Federal District Court of the Eastern District of Virginia. Later worked in commercial real estate law for six years as an attorney with the Washington, D.C. law firm of Covington and Burling. Um, 
And as part of his service responsibilities with that firm, he served as a general counsel for the Organization of Chinese Americans. So he was a go-getter. He was He's one of those people that yeah. just don't know where to get all that energy. Right. That hmm. we were talking about earlier. It's like, yeah. yeah, this guy was really out to like make a difference and do good things and stuff. Hmm. <laughs> um, along the way, he met his... Uh, who would uh, the the lady who would become his wife, Catherine Ellen Yu? They uh, would get married um, in 2003, and they moved to Fairfax County, Virginia. So it was the Yu Wan wedding. It was the Yu Wan mm, okay. wedding. Yeah. Well, they both won. <laughs> Pretty good. There you go. They found Man. love. They, they both won. <laughs> well done. And folks, that's what this podcast that's, is all about. It's better than smartless. <laughs> <laughs> On uh, June thirtieth, two thousand six, uh, this is um, about two months before he was uh, he would be murdered. Uh, Juan left Covington and Burling and was hired as general counsel for Radio Free Asia. Juan was very active within the Asian American community community at this time. Like I'd already said, he was supporting uh, organizations. Um, like the OCA and the Museum of Chinese in America. At the time of his death, he was also president-elect of the Asian God. Pacific American Bar Association. Good grief. So, yeah, like a guy, um, kind of a mover and a shaker in his circle, you know, like doing Man. things, trying to trying to do better things. <laughs> wow. You know, and not the kind of guy that seemed like he was just doing it for the money sort of thing, though, you know. Like, of course, it's never those people. Right, yeah. So um, what I'd like to start with, though, that's the introduction to Robert Wan. Um, you know, I wish I could spend more time talking about him because he deserves it. But um, I'm going to play the 911 call of the night that he was murdered because I think that's oh, a really good okay. place to start. All right. Um, well, trigger warning just in case. That's a good point. Yeah, if you're uh, – I mean, I, I enjoy is the wrong word, but listening to, like, interrogations, 911 calls, that kind of thing just interests me. But for this right. story, like, I think – Hearing the nine one one call, it's uh, it's important. But you may want to yeah. proceed with caution. There, there is a there is a distressed individual <laughs> calling nine one one. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, sure. there's uh, it, it's a nine one one call. Right, it's a nine one one call. So we're going to start that now. DC emergency nine one one operator six seven five two. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? What's wrong, ma'am? We had someone that was in our house, evidently, and they stabbed somebody. Okay, somebody's inside the house now? I don't know. We heard... Are they bleeding? You see someone yes. bleeding? Someone is bleeding in our house. Okay, where are they bleeding from? Uh, I think he's... I think in the stomach. In the stomach? Is he cautious? Uh, Calm down for me. I'm going to send some help, okay? Female or male? It's a male. He's a friend of ours. He was, spent, he was spending the night with us. Okay, and who was the person that stabbed him? Do you know? Is he, is, is he conscious? We need an ambulance. Ma'am, listen to me. He's not conscious. He's not conscious at all? No. We need someone right now. Is he breathing? Listen, is he, listen to me. Calm down. I'm going to help you, okay? Is he breathing? I'm upstairs, and he's downstairs. I don't know. Okay, who's downstairs with him? My partner is downstairs with him right now. He told me to go upstairs and call the police immediately. Okay, who's the person? Okay, I'm sending paramedics and the police. Okay, who's the person that stabbed him? I don't know. We think it's somebody with an intruder in the house. We heard the chime of the door. <laughs> Ma'am, calm down. 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. Am I correct? Yes, it is. The person that stabbed him, is he still in the home? I don't know.
we got help in route, okay? Pardon me? We have help in route. Thank you. Okay. They are in route to you now. I'm sending the police and the paramedics, okay, to assist. Okay, what I need you to do is go downstairs, okay? The place where, wherever he was stabbed at, I need you to get a dry cloth, okay? And just apply pressure to that area. If he was, wherever he was stabbed at on his body, I need you to take a towel downstairs while you're waiting for the paramedics to arrive and just apply pressure. Even if the rag or towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top, but never lift the, the first towel off the area. Hold it on. Once it gets filled up with blood, just put another towel on top of that and just apply pressure until the paramedics arrive. Yes. Yeah. 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 In the heart? Yes. In the center of his chest. Okay. Is he breathing? Is he breathing? We have help right now, okay? All right. I'll stop it right oh, there. Okay. It goes on a lot longer, but it's a. Uh, it's a lot of the same. Uh, her instructing them on, uh, or him, on the phone. That's a uh, that is um, a man, though she keeps saying ma'am. <laughs> the one, the guy the, who not uh, the not the dispatcher. Not, well, the dispatcher is is a woman. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was yeah, like, damn, yeah. I would have never the, uh, guessed that. The person on the phone was is a All man. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, and his uh, partner's downstairs attending to uh, Robert Juan. Um, okay. So, essentially, what happened? You know, like what how did they get to this point right and um okay like he said on the call to the dispatcher um they had heard they had heard some things essentially like the chime on the door like they have an alarm that you know when you open the door it chimes right to let you know that the door has oh, been like, opened like at a 7-eleven or something right yeah like mm-hmm. they had heard footsteps on the stairs they had heard the chime okay and you know, they didn't really do anything at first. Then they heard some, like, low groaning of some sort, okay. which gave them alarm. <laughs> and yeah. So they get up. I would think that just hearing the chime would give me enough alarm. Right. Well, it turns out, um, and it's in my notes, but I'll go ahead and say it. It turns out they do have a um, a roommate. Like, there's a, a okay. girl that lives downstairs okay. in their basement apartment. Like, it's a it's a pretty nice place that they okay, live in. Okay, I got like, you. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a... Like a brownstone kind of yeah, place. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, it's several stories. Um, so, perhaps they just assumed that it was... Okay, like, so that's, it wasn't, that's less. Like, right. if I had that happen at my house. I, I mean, they were still... They, like, they weren't expecting her that night, but it was still like, well, maybe it's her. Okay, um, gotcha. And right. um, but anyway, they do get up once they hear the groaning, and they go to see. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> Ask questions; it's fine because right. this one is going to be full of effing questions. Okay, right? but uh, they go and they find uh, him stabbed in the bed, like dead, essentially. Okay, and at least this is their story. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, um, in my notes, uh, so what happened? Um, on August second, two thousand six, uh, Robert Wan was fatally stabbed while staying overnight at a friend's house on Swan Street in Washington's Dupont Circle neighborhood. The place was owned by Joseph Price, the guy he met in college at William and Mary, <clears throat> and his domestic partner Victor Zaborski, where they lived with Dylan Ward as a polyamorous family unit. Um, different than today, back in two thousand six, you know, like. Even today, like, it's something that people don't get if they don't get it, I guess, you know. But uh, Juan had gone to Price's residence at approximately 10.30 p.m. after working late, um, and he had arranged this uh, a few days before. Um, Originally, he was supposed to have stayed with a, a different friend, a female, but those plans had fallen through. This was plan B. He hadn't seen Joseph Price in a while. 
it's a good time to go catch up. Okay. Like, and he didn't want to go home that late at night, wake his wife up because, well, that's the kind of guy he was. <laughs> she right. has to get up early. He was going to be out late. So, um, Neighbors report hearing a scream uh, later identified as Victor Zaborski. That's who made the call. During the 11 p.m. newscast, the neighbors said they heard this, so it was sometime before 11.35, before the news went off. Okay. Um, Zaborski made a 911 call at 11.49, which is well after the news yeah. goes off, and paramedics arrive five minutes later, followed by the officers of the Metropolitan, uh, Metropolitan Police Department, or MPDC from here on out. Price phoned Juan's wife, and Juan was pronounced dead at George Washington University Hospital at 12.24 a.m. on August 3rd. So, really, within two hours of showing up at their house, he's at the hospital dead. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. So, he walks in the door, and two hours later, he's the, dead in the hospital. Yeah, right. Um, wow. Price, Zaborski, and Ward, the man who lived in the house, all initially spoke with the police without attorneys, um, although Joseph Price is an attorney himself. Um, and all of them are kind of in the law field, even though they do different things. Um, and the video recordings of those interviews were shown at the subsequent conspiracy trial because these guys were immediate suspects. Basically, never any other suspects. Yeah, I mean, but um, I'm no investigator, but I mean... That would be my first two go-tos. Right, right, um, right, of course. Especially with a I delay agree. of that long for the... Well, and that's even kind of... Later on, I guess. Yeah, like, right. And even then, it's like, well, I mean, they couldn't really establish what would have happened during that delay. I mean, they could they could guess at it, but right. they didn't really have any sort of proof. Of, but anyway, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Three men denied any involvement in Juan's death and speculated that an intruder had killed him. And here I've put in, this is uh, basically from Wikipedia, because that was just the place I could find the most basic story of it without shit thrown in. Um, but in parentheses, I put, I mean, they claim they heard an intruder, so this goes slightly be beyond speculation. Like, they heard somebody. <laughs> they right. say they heard somebody. Right. So to say that, well, they didn't hear anybody, they did it. And it's like, well, no, they said they heard somebody. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, but they never really investigate. I get so, like, worked up over it. I'm like, but I, I like, know you're you kind yeah. of railroading these guys. Sure, it looks like they did it, but Right. Yeah. Sometimes it does seem like they're just you know, that's the easy right. closed like, closed case. I wouldn't know? say those guys are speculating. They say they heard something, but once they realized they were the main, um, basically the only suspects, they stopped talking. Like they weren't going to answer any more questions, and they didn't. Like their stories never changed. Right. They each had separate interviews. Story was always basically the same. You know. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and really, that's what you're supposed to do in this situation. And Joseph yeah. Price, I think, being a an attorney himself probably said more even than he knew he yeah. should have. But If you're not lying, you, right. don't ha you don't have to think about much. Yeah. So um, the three also denied any sexual relationship with Juan because uh, once it was found out that these gay men were living together, it was the whole story kind of turned into like it might have been this whole like sexual thing gone wrong. Of course, wrong. yeah. Right, right, because it's gay men. They, right. they rape straight That's all men. they do is just fuck. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll, again, I'll say well, it sure does seem like they had something to do with it, but <laughs> right. you guys seem to be going in the wrong direction with this. So. But anyway, um, they've described him as both straight and happily married. Um, all three men attended Juan's funeral, and Joseph Price even served as a pallbearer. So before they were real suspects, like the wife was still on their side. Like She was okay. like, these guys didn't do this. So, right. You know, we don't know... Like the story's really weird, and 
we'll get into some weird evidence and like it gets weird okay <laughs> um so in my notes i say what actually happened then um I'm going to read uh, an account of the paramedics from the uh, affidavit that would come out in 2008. Um, this affidavit was uh, an attempt to attain an arrest warrant for Dylan Ward. Ugh, excuse me, Dylan Ward. He's the uh, he's the third in that uh, relationship, the polyamorous okay. relationship. Um. So the going theory is that the. Uh, issuance of the affidavit would turn uh, Dylan Ward against the other two, you know, assuming that they were conspiring and that did not happen, but uh, they did end up getting um, an arrest warrant for him. So I'm going to get to my affidavit right here, <laughs> which was kind of an interesting read actually. But uh, this is what they had to say about the call to 911 in the affidavit. At 11.49 p.m. on August 2, 2006, Zaborski called 911 and reported that a quote-unquote intruder had stabbed a guest in their home. Emergency personnel were immediately dispatched to the location. When asked by the 911 operator whether they needed police, fire, or ambulance, Zaborski requested only an ambulance. Within the first 90 seconds of the call, Zaborski related to the 911 operator, quote, we heard dot dot dot. We think it was somebody, an intruder in the house. We heard a chime, the door. End quote. Zaborski's comments to the 911 operator suggest that he had talked with the other residents in the house before placing the call and that he represented things that we saw and we heard allegedly before discovering Mr. Wan had been attacked. We heard that. I didn't really zero in on the wheeze. <laughs> No. <laughs> he sounded pretty distressed. Right. Well, yeah, that's a big deal, too. Right. The operator then told Zaborski to, quote, get a dry cloth, apply pressure to that area where he was stabbed. Even if the towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top of that. Never lift the first towel off the area. Hold it on. And once it gets filled up with blood, just put another towel on. We heard that. Zaborski responded, quote, my partner is holding it on there he is applying pressure the operator further instructed just keep applying pressure you need to hold it there until the paramedics get there we didn't listen to all of that part during the 911 call zaborski asked the operator what time is it to which the operator responded 11:54 p.m. without prompting zaborski then volunteered that quote the person had one of our knives now i would have kept listening to that but it was 7 minutes worth of 911 right. and i already think mine's going to go really long so okay. <laughs> right. i knew i was going to say this anyway so that is interesting <laughs> but again he's in distress the time is weird but again like might be wondering what that time it is too i mean you know he's like i don't know i got up in the middle of the night i think right like I yeah because I mean, he says been he was asleep it could it could yeah, be if he you went to bed at nine it bill. could be 11 or it could be 4 right. a.m because zaborski when robert juan got there zaborski was already had gone to bed like he had taken a sleeping pill and he was getting ready to go to sleep and the other two sat downstairs and had wine and talked right. okay and, you know, I, I'll get to that, but uh, approximately five minutes and 40 seconds into the call, Zaborski indicated that emergency personnel had arrived on the scene. So, um, next, we're going to read the observations of the paramedics when they get there. This is also interesting, but again, I don't know. Once on the scene, the two emergency medical service workers, here and after referred to as W1 and W2, observed that Mr. Wan was dead and had been dead for some period of time. More specifically, W1 approached the house and observed a white male, Zaborski, standing on the front steps to 1509 Swan Street, wearing a bathrobe and speaking on a cell phone. W1 asked Zaborski, what's going on? 
Zaborski did not respond directly to W1. However, W1 overheard Zaborski say something about a stabbing on the second floor. W1 then entered 1509 Swan Street, a three-story townhouse, through the front door. Um, W1, an EMS worker for more than 10 years, went up to the second floor, followed by W2, and saw a second individual, Joseph Ward, in a bathrobe emerge from a small hallway area adjoining a bathroom. As Ward approached, W1 confronted Ward and directly asked him, what's going on? Ward looked at W1 but did not reply. Instead, Ward walked past W1 and directly into his bedroom on the second floor. W1 proceeded toward the front of the house on the second floor and observed a third male, Joseph Price, wearing only a pair of underwear. Seated on the edge of a pull-out couch slash bed in a room at the front of the house overlooking the street, Price had his back to the door and was not applying pressure to Mr. Wan's wounds or touching Mr. Wan in any way. W1 again asked, what's going on? Price replied, I heard a scream and said nothing more. Price then got up from the bed and, keeping his back to W1, moved sideways away from the bed. The behavior exhibited by Zaborski, Ward, and Price alarmed W1. Sounds weird. Very weird. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, yeah. as a paramedic for more than 10 years, W1 had responded to hundreds of scenes involving victims who had been shot, stabbed, or otherwise injured by violent contact. Contact. Conduct. Generally, in his experience, uh, people didn't act this way. <laughs> yeah, that's it, what I'll say. I, I won't that's even some horror movie it. stuff. Right. If somebody gets up <laughs> off the bed and just like walks sideways right. and doesn't face you. He um, at the scene, however, he uh, the observed conduct of Zaborski, Ward, and Price quote made the hair on the back of W one's neck stand up. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, W one was so concerned with the odd behavior that he visually checked Price's hands for weapons upon entering the guest room. Yeah. Additionally, instead of directing a, a directly attending to Mister Wan on the left side of the bed, the side closest to the door, W one deliberately moved around to the other side of the bed so that he could continue to observe Price while he attended to Mister Wan. Similarly, W-2, an EMS worker for more than 15 years, immediately recognized that things were, quote, very wrong regarding the scene. She saw a large hole in the victim's chest big enough to fit your finger into, but there was no blood whatsoever on the victim, on the floor, or anywhere in the room. What? W-2 also noticed that there were absolutely no signs of disarray in the house or the room. Indeed, according to W-2, it appeared as if the body had been stabbed, showered, redressed, and placed in the bed. Upon examining Mr. Wan, W-1 immediately noticed three apparent stab wounds to Mr. Wan's chest. Upon checking for signs of life, W-1 found no pulse in Mr. Wan's wrist, no pulse in his femoral artery in his groin, and no pulse in the carotid artery on his neck. Mr. Wan's pupils were fixed and dilated, and there was no respiration whatsoever. Moreover, no blood was coming from the three wounds in Mr. Wan's chest. The paramedics immediately placed Mr. Wan on an EKG monitor, which indicated that he was a systole, meaning he was completely flatlined with no heart activity. W1 recalls seeing little to no blood on Mr. Wan's chest, as if someone had cleaned up the area surrounding the wounds. More specifically, W1 saw a very light film of blood with striation marks, as if someone had taken a towel and wiped it down Mr. Wan's chest. Based on a complete lack of any signs of life, Mr. Wan was dead and appeared to have been dead for some period of time. Paramedics then transported him um, to the hospital where he was officially pronounced dead at 1225. Wow. Yeah. That's so, weird. Right. It's quite like weird. Chupacabra came in there or something. Right. Like the no blood. Um, I uh, I still can't get past the like get up off the bed and walk sideways shit. Yeah. And the uh, like you're not applying pressure. Although I guess maybe they realized he was already dead. And he turns they, around and has like those eyes in his hands <laughs> like a pan's labyrinth. Like ah. <laughs> I know. Oh That's my so God. creepy. And I thought it was in that account. But um, they also 
when the paramedics get there, they say that the guys, like, um, Joseph Price was just still in his underwear and a t-shirt, and the other two were in white bathrobes. And they claim that they looked freshly showered. Right. Like, like ah, did they just look showered, or were they showered? And also, like, everybody that walked by, like, what's going on here? And they just right. don't say anything, or they go, stabbed. That's <laughs> right. like, it? Definitely Dylan Ward, like, walking right, right past scream. him. Like, yeah, it's just weird. I Like, so... All of the, huh? All of the suspicion. I can completely understand it, but like to not have conducted a full investigation, which we'll find out there are other things they could have investigated, and not to mention the way that they bungle this investigation. <laughs> it's just a So this is from a Washington Post article, uh, October 9th, two thousand six. Uh, according to sources with direct knowledge of the investigation, Price, Zaborski, and Ward have described a routine evening that began with a dinner at home before Juan arrived at about ten thirty to sleep over. The sources, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because the case is under investigation, said the men have given this account. Juan first sat in the kitchen chatting with Price, a lawyer at a prominent law firm with whom he attended, whom he attended the College of William and Mary, and Ward, 36, who works for a software company. Zaborski, 40, a marketing manager at the International Dairy Foods Association, was in the third floor bedroom he shared with Price. A female tenant who lived in the basement was not at home. Price has said that he went upstairs to the third floor to sleep at about 11 p.m. Ward retired to his bedroom near the top of the stairs on the second floor overlooking the backyard. He later told police that he took a sleeping pill that night, as he often did. Juan showered and went to a second-floor guest room facing Swan Street. According to the sources, Price recalled falling asleep and then being awakened by a chime that the alarm system sets off when the front or back doors open. Price did not go downstairs because he assumed that his tenant was his tenant was returning. She did not return home that night. Price has said that minutes later, perhaps as many as ten, he heard the sound of deep, guttural moaning. He ran downstairs with Zaborski and found the door to the guest room ajar and Juan on the sofa bed bleeding. Price moved the knife from Juan, police later found it on a side table, and tried to staunch the bleeding, the sources said. Zaborski stood in the hallway, his screams waking Ward. At 11.49 p.m., Zaborski calls 911. Paramedics arrive at 11.54, followed by police, who found Juan wearing bedclothes, unconscious, and showing no signs of life. He had been stabbed twice in the chest and once in the abdomen. Hmm. Amazing response time by the EMS, by the way. Yeah, five minutes. Pretty damn fast. Wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty damn fast. Much better initial response so far than the police department. Right. Um, so... Two years later, we're in October 2008, um, an, an obstruction of justice charge was filed against Dylan Ward. That's the third in the polyamorous relationship. The one that just walked by and didn't say anything. Right. Yeah, Which okay. um, some people who knew the guys in the neighborhood said it, this is a big uh, homosexual neighborhood in D.C. And so these guys were very well known amongst uh, their friends and their in their social circle and everything. And they said that really... It was one of our more popular areas when we <laughs> it, were visiting. It was. It was. <laughs> I think it was me, personally. I mean, no offense. Yeah, I mean, you know. You're I'm what the, they call a bear. The big bear. <clears throat> Anyways, um, back to it. You big bear, you. Uh, the hell is I saying? <laughs> oh, it wasn't so much a polyamorous relationship as it was uh, Dylan Ward had a relationship with Joseph Price, but so did Victor Zaborski have a relationship with Joseph Price. All right. Dylan and Victor did not so much have a relationship. Never did their swords touch. Well... <laughs> We don't know for sure. Sure. Um, 
So anyway, um, an obstruction of justice charge was filed against Dylan Ward, who had since moved to Miami-Dade County, Florida, and was living in a home owned by Joseph Price. They all moved together to Florida after, because basically things blew up in D.C. to the point where they couldn't live there anymore. Okay. They, they, none of them got fired from their jobs or anything like that. Um, in November got 2008. Promoted. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, they no one they didn't do anything. I mean, they, right. You know, in November, 2008 price and Zaborski were arrested and charged with obstruction of justice. All three men were later released pending trial, but subject to electronic monitoring and curfews on December 19th, 2008, additional charges of conspiracy were filed against all three men. The affidavit filed by authorities supporting the arrest for war for ward showed that investigators had concluded. The men were not telling the truth about what happened. The report states the evidence demonstrates that Robert Wan was restrained incapacitated, sexually assaulted, and murdered inside 1509 Swan Street, wherein, in fact, the autopsy says the man was not sexually assaulted. (laughs) So that's not true. (laughs) But But it didn't say anything else about any of the other parts. Right. I mean, you know, there was not really any proof that he was restrained or incapacitated. It's all circumstantial. It's like, that's the assumption, but they can't prove that that's what happened. That's what they're saying happened. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, and there exists, quote, overwhelming evidence far in excess of probable cause that Price, Zaborski, and Ward had obstructed justice by altering and orchestrating the crime scene, planting evidence, delaying the reporting of the murder to the authorities, and lying to the police about the true circumstances of the murder. Lawyers for the three accused men have called the affidavit speculation, innuendo, assumptions, and irrelevant inflammatory comments, and maintain their client's innocence. In the documentary I watched about this, their defense lawyer, that dude is a... Uh, the scariest dorky guy I've ever seen. Oh, really? And like, like he, uh, he, they end up like they don't get charged. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. Okay, right? but because this guy's he just like strong armed the well, entire his whole game legal plan system. was well, he was like, we're just going to uh, we're going to destroy. Like, we're not going to try to defend. It's like they're going to tell us what they think happened. We're going to destroy it. All right, <laughs> and that's what he proceeded to do okay because there were so many different theories that they were coming out with like because i haven't even gotten into all the evidence but like there's so many different theories that it's like all right which one they just kept changing the theories as time went on kind of huh like it was always these three guys people would do (laughs) was it an individual or was it like you know an entire group of people perhaps (laughs) right Hmm, interesting anyway Weird, um, weird human behavior. Weird human behavior, indeed. Although these guys were just, you know, they had their sights set on these guys. Um, yeah, it was the easy way out. It was the easy way, and maybe the more obvious. Granted, they had no effing proof. It's right. like you think it this is, is really <laughs> weird, though. It's a lot mm. of weird shit, but I'd have called in a plumber. <laughs> you might as well have. Like there yeah, were things. Had them cut off the water and cut they, the pipes. Apparently, they were going to use this, and I don't even have this in my notes because. There was so much stuff, but they had this uh, new blood test they were going to use in the room to determine, like, if there had been blood there, mm. yada, yada. But they effed it up so bad, spilled that crap everywhere, and did it wrong, basically because they didn't read the instructions hmm. that there could be no more tests done in the room. Must have been men, for sure. <laughs> it was a bunch of men. It sure was. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean... <laughs> I don't need the instructions. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, so, you know... They, and they didn't save any of the blood samples they did have after they initially tested Why them. would you? Right. Because huh. one of the going theories, and we'll get into it a little more, but one of the going theories is that, well, they drugged this guy 
because that's why there are no defensive wounds, because there are no defensive wounds or anything. Right. So they drugged him so that he was incapacitated and then murdered him, but also sexually assaulted him because they had a room full of BDSM toys. But I also have known gay men in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not so strange. <laughs> you know, right. you've got a room full of sex toys and like things to right. tie each other up with. Like, yeah, who doesn't? I mean, you know, like, even your parents have that. Again, like, just it kidding. Maybe weird enough. You know, Everybody's parents they have may, that. But, but even <laughs> like, you know, like, sure, it might be weird to you, but that doesn't, hey. like, they have sex toys. That doesn't mean they murdered somebody. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, obviously, that's a correlation. <laughs> right. Washington, well, hold on. Like, um, Price and Zaborski were domestic partners, and the affidavit alleges that Price had previously had a sexual relationship with Ward. Washington attorney Dale Sanders opined that, opined that the release of the extensively detailed affidavit, affidavit was intended to turn one of the housemates, presumably Ward, against the others, and hypothesized that it indicated prosecutors lacked sufficient sufficient evidence to charge any of the housemates with additional crimes without the cooperation of a witness. Pretty true. We, if they are conspiring, one of them has to come out. Yeah. O- officials believe that a knife from the kitchen had been smeared with blood and placed near the body while a duplicate of that knife was missing from a set found in Ward's bedroom. While, well, that knife missing from the set in Ward's bedroom would have been more consistent with the wounds to Juan's body. The autopsy found that the wounds were not deep enough to have been the knife that was at the scene. Okay. Um, The autopsy revealed evidence of some degree of suffocation, perhaps by a pillow, and puncture marks on his neck, chest, foot, and hand. Puncture marks being like needle marks. Okay. Though no toxins were found in his blood, a lack of evidence um, of struggle led investigators to suspect Juan had been injected with a paralytic agent. Cadaver dogs hit on a dryer lint trap and the patio drain, which detectives believe may have be evidence that someone washed themselves in the back patio area and dried wet clothes in the dryer. Again, maybe they were bloody at some other point in fucking time. <laughs> like, not All real right. evidence. It's like, All okay, right. yeah, I could say that this is what this is, but again, yeah, like, your investigation didn't go deep enough into it. Plumber. To... <laughs> plumber right. was my choice. A plumber might have been better off. Washington City paper columnist Jason Cherkis reported unattributed criticism of the medical examiner's failure to attest for exotic drugs and to keep a sample of Juan's blood for later testing. Right. As well as detect his failure to <clears throat> failure to follow up on a lint trap that had attracted a cadaver dog's attention. Right. Like, why aren't you following up on anything? Mm-hmm. And this would maybe get the guys that you're trying to get. Uh, they didn't want them. Right. In April 2009, prosecutors disclosed that two emails had been drafted on Juan's BlackBerry, quote, at a time when prosecutors believed Juan dead. An independent criminal law attorney noted, the defense will argue that this is consistent with their claim that the murder happened quickly by an intruder and it was not a long, drawn-out effort to sexually assault Juan before he was killed, as the government is alleging. So that's, they're saying, like, yeah, it was this whole sex thing gone wrong. Again, because right. they're gay men? Right, yeah. Well, that's the leads to every crime. <laughs> but but there's also no evidence of sexual assault. <laughs> like, so, right. Like, previously, a court filing indicated that the government intended to release a personal profile that Price alleged used on, that Price allegedly used on alt.com, quote, a sexually oriented website specializing in S&M practices. 
formal defense in the conspiracy case began on June 17, 2010 and concluded without any of the defendants testifying. On June 29th, Judge Lynn Leibovitz found each of the three men not guilty of charges of conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and tampering with evidence. She said in explaining her ruling for almost an hour from the bench, sta- she said uh, she stated that she personally believed that the men knew who killed Juan, but were not con- was not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed the offenses with which they were charged. I cannot disagree with that assessment. One of them but, did it. Somebody that they knew did it, and then they all cleaned it up. Right. But there's a little more evidence. Okay. And there's also, like, a civil lawsuit. It was that guy from the woods. <laughs> right. It was him and his sister. <laughs> On November 25th, 2008, Juan's widow filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Price, Zaborski, and Ward, largely based on the police affidavit. The lawsuit alleged defendants' negligent failure to rescue Robert Juan after he was injured, defendants' destruction of evidence after Robert Wan's murder and defendant's conspiracy to destroy evidence and obstruct the police investigation into Robert Wan's murder. The suit was settled outside of court for an undisclosed sum and agreement. So, interesting. So, here's theories about what happened. Um, Number one, there was an intruder. At the time of Juan's death, Price, Zaborski, and Ward told authorities that they believed an intruder had killed their friend. The trio, who were in a polyamorous relationship, said they heard a person heading down the stairs of their home when they went to investigate a series of grunts coming from the guest bedroom. The trio claimed that an intruder must have entered their home from the townhouse's back door, which had been left open and could be reached if they had jumped over the garden fence. They said that they had not heard anyone coming up the stairs of their home, nor could they explain why the alleged killer had chosen to go past Ward's room and entered the guest bedroom across the hallway. None of the three men had seen the alleged intruder, and the police largely dismissed their witness testimony because they believed that there was a lack of evidence to support the theory. Right now, it sounds like there's more evidence to support that theory than any other fucking evi- like theory that they've had. Yeah. Like, granted, there are sex toys, so that might mean right. rape. Yeah, but like, I mean, like, I mean, what are the odds of the person walking in and going straight to this guy's room? Right. I agree. Like that, it's that very strange. That doesn't live there. It's very strange. You know, maybe he came in with him. Right. Well, the police claim that there are no signs of an intruder, but when the defense attorney went to do an investigation two years later, like, he and his assistant walked up, and the first thing, this is in the documentary, his assistant, the first thing he does is reach his hand through the mail slot on the door and unlock their front door and open it. Huh. <laughs> and it's like, that's not in any sort of investigative report. Right. You can do that. They went around the back of the house where the guys believed that the intruder like, either got in or left, jumping over the fence. The police had said they didn't believe it possible for anyone to jump over the fence. Said assistant hops right over the fence, like, you know, puts his hands on, hops up. Does it like in uh, Shaun of the Dead when he's <laughs> yeah, bouncing that's over the exactly what I was thinking, too. I did it. <laughs> uh. But then on the other side in the yard next door, there's like the, you know, the kids' sandboxes that are like a turtle shape and they yeah. have a little shell you put on top right. of it. There was one of those and they talked to that neighbor, the defense attorney did, and the neighbor claimed that on that next morning, that turtle shell was dented in with footprints on it hmm. as if someone had jumped the fence and landed on it. Huh. They told the police this, and the police said, yes, we'll look into it. Never did. Hmm. Anti-turtle. <laughs> right. But very interesting, because there's your huh. fucking evidence. Right. You had some. No pictures Maybe of it. Maybe the ding they heard was the guy leaving. Right. Yeah. And, and then jumping the fence. Like, there's so like many Sean. other possibilities that it's like, sure, it does kind of look like these guys did it, but, like, there is evidence to support what they're trying to tell you. Right. <laughs> I mean... 
So okay. when Price, Zaborski, and Ward were charged with obstruction of justice and taken to court in 2008, defense attorney Bernie Graham, that's the guy, argued that the police had not sufficiently investigated the possibility of there being an intruder. And that's what I just talked about. Um, the second theory is one of the people in the house killed Robert Wan. That's what most people believe. When the crime first took place, police believed that one of the people in the house with Juan was responsible for the murder. Price, Zaborski, and Ward have all denied the involvement in Juan's death. The police investigation found that Juan had been sexually assaulted. But then again, I've read that it didn't. And I'll, I'll tell you what their sexual assault is, but we'll get there. And they believed he had either been restrained or injected with a drug that had paralyzed him as there were puncture marks found on his body. The surgical precision with which he had been cut suggested that Juan had not moved when he was stabbed. There were no traces of drugs in Juan's system, according to the autopsy report. Authorities found a large collection of BDSM items in the home, including things that could be used to restrain a person during sex, and they believed this might have been relevant to the case. However, an investigation of the items found that none could be linked to Juan's murder. Moreover, while a knife was found at the scene of the crime, authorities later found the blade was too large to be used in the killing. Police were unable to find the murder weapon, though they argued that a blade that was missing from a cutlery set in Dylan's room was the right size for the crime. Why is he keeping cutlery set in his bedroom? Weirdo. Yeah, good question. During Price, and that does come up, like the prosecutor is all about that. And right. I, I could see the skepticism for sure during price zaborski and ward's trial for obstruction of justice dylan's mother took to the witness stand and testified that she had gifted the cutlery set to her son and had kept the smaller blade ah uh, okay seems maybe convenient. Not. i mean sure does seem convenient i agree i will say though that i i guess maybe if it's not really your house like perhaps things like that you don't keep in the kitchen the mom because did you it. don't need it <laughs> there you go um number three Joe Price, Victor Zaborski, and Dylan Ward covered up the crime. A third theory is that Price, Zaborski, and Ward had tampered with the scene to cover up the crime for someone, either one of them or another individual. When first speaking with police, Price said that he had found the knife placed on top of Juan's torso, which he then moved to the bedside table. Dummy. If that's true, dummy. Later, he changed his witness statement and claimed that he had taken the knife out of Juan's torso. Dummy. But this is the guy that's the lawyer that changed his story. Right. Um, police believe that the blood splatter on the knife and the evidence of white fibers on the weapon suggested that the blade had been wiped with a towel, which appeared to support the theory that the weapon was not the one used to kill Juan, as it did not have any traces of the lawyer's gray t-shirt. When police arrived, again, I mean... Does it necessarily have to? <laughs> right. Yeah. When police arrived at the scene in August 2006, Price, Zaborski, and Ward were wearing bathrobes, and all three appeared to have recently showered. I already said that. Authorities also believe that the lack of blood on the scene and around Juan suggested that it had been cleaned up or that Juan had been moved. According to the documentary I watched, the police found trace amounts of blood in two locations in the home, but they were unable to investigate them sufficiently to determine if Price, Zaborski, and Ward had allegedly cleaned up the scene, meaning they screwed up that blood test. <clears throat> um, it did, uh, in the autopsy, there was mention that uh, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of blood found in Juan's abdomen and digestive system, indicating that perhaps all of that blood that should have been all over the scene mm, was leaking okay. inside of him. But the fact that it was into his digestive system indicates that he was alive because the blood was being digested right. like deep. It was like two feet into his intestines. Oh, wow. Okay. So, like, he had started to digest his own blood. But... Again, no defensive wounds, <laughs> like none mm. of that. 
I don't think I, it's in my notes, but he had his mouthpiece in, like he wears because he gnashes his teeth, he mm. grinds his teeth, like he had put his mouthpiece in, which his wife said that was always the last thing he did before he went to sleep. So, like, he had prepared to go to sleep. Wasn't right. having sex with anybody. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like, there were some theories. Maybe they're doing that, some football cosplay right? or something. <laughs> Maybe. Hmm. At the three men's trial in 2010, all were found. Wait, I already, hold on. <clears throat> so um, other theories and strange evidence were almost at the end here. Um, this one I found pretty interesting. There's the uh, CIA conspiracy theory about the Juan murder. Um, <laughs> this is from, uh, let's see, Alex Constant- Constantine's blog. I don't even remember where I found this, but this was posted on uh, 21st of January 2009. Um he, uh, this guy's blog implies a much larger conspiracy involving more than the three roommates living at 1509 Swan Street. He alleges that Radio Free Asia, where Robert Wan had recently taken the position as general counsel at the time of the murder, was a front for the CIA. He also alleges that Covington and Burlington, or Burling, the law firm where Robert worked prior to joining Radio Free Asia, has strong CIA ties. With more, without more information, he says he's hesitant to take these allegations seriously. But, oh, this was on, there's actually a website for the murder, like the guys that live in that neighborhood had conducted this true crime website, Uh, which I found very hard to navigate and had very little good information. It was mostly stuff like this. Okay. It was kind of like a Reddit thing, but their own website. Um, Speaking of Reddit, this is from Reddit. (laughs) It was posted actually just six months ago, and this is a theory about the Robert Wan case. I just heard the first time about the Robert Wan case a few minutes ago really uh, amazing writers on Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. In a podcast, and I had thought about what happened. Robert Wan's death may have resulted from an unintended consequence of an extreme form of blood play, which is known to occur in certain BDSM practices, albeit not to the lethal extent presented in the case. The practice could have accidentally gone too far, leading to an amount of blood loss that proved fatal. To conceal what occurred, the individuals involved might have inflicted the stab wounds post-mortem, creating the appearance of a different cause of death. Um, I'm going to stop this one right now because I'm like, the dude only had less than an hour and a half to to be murdered right essentially they so so many of these theories i'm like crazy sex party like i don't know yeah <laughs> they would have had to jump weird. into it pretty quick like, yeah and had they drugged him like did the drugs even kick in yet like, right I mean, like and they're you know it just the timing seems like there's not enough time for a lot of this shit to have happened yeah, right yeah <laughs> i mean there's just not enough time if the story is true as far as the time is concerned which, you know, other people, like Robert Wan was supposed to go meet some guys at his office. That was one of the reasons he was staying late. And they did confirm that, yes, he came and met them. Mm. So it's like, <laughs> it's just weird. They, you know, sure does seem like these guys did it. But then again, it sure does seem like they didn't do it. I mean. Yeah, this is a weird one. Yeah. Um, the presence of multiple puncture wounds on Wan's body could lend some support to that theory, the bloodletting theory. The lack of defensive wounds and an absence of expected blood from the stab wounds. Like, yeah, but I don't like that theory at all because the timing. I'm like, yeah, some crazy blood sex thing. Yeah. Like, I don't think that sex was a thing in this killing. Um, Joe Price's brother. We haven't talked about him yet, but the guy who owns the house, his brother has a key. And two months after the murder was uh, caught burglarizing the residence. So well, from, you didn't need a key though. You could just stick your arm right up in there. And... <laughs> apparently, yeah. 
Three months after Juan's death, Price's brother Michael, an accomplice and an accomplice named Phelps Collins, burgled the Swan Street row house. They took more than $7,000 in electric electronic equipment. Two individuals, including Price's brother, were charged with burglary, but they were later dropped. In 2007, the MPDC revealed that they had been preparing to make an arrest in the Juan murder case in 2006, but that the burglary had derailed those plans. Police have not revealed the name of the arrest target, nor the charges that would have been filed. Very interesting. In a very strange turn, his brother is also a phlebotomist, so definitely correlates with some of the mysterious blood issues at the scene. Hmm. That's um, weird. A theory I came up with at work today was perhaps said brother was burglarizing the place that night when the people that lived there got home. He's hiding out in the guest bedroom waiting for his chance to leave. Right. Dude face shows up and something happens. He ends up yeah. killing him. Mm, and and then runs down the blood st- for research. Yeah, runs down the stairs out the door because they only hear one chime. Jumps over the fence, lands on the turtle, runs away. Right, but the, then they would know that he was there. They, why would they have cleaned up? Maybe the but he the, cleaned the blood up leaked he, inside of him. Though. Right, like, there was some. When you see the pictures, there's some blood on the bed, but not like three stab wounds in the chest okay. worth of fucking blood. Right. Like, so he it, took it for her, for his research, right? Like so, him being a phlebotomist, I think, might just be kind of a coincidence, even though coincidences are rare. But right. the, yeah. I mean, um, the roommate is another thing I put in theories and like the roommate. But why? Like eh, the roommate traces of semen. Haven't talked about that yet. The sexual assault the police keep referring to is they did find traces of semen inside of him in his booty hole, outside of his booty hole and all around the thighs in his groin area. When they tested it, they found that it was his own semen. Hmm. Yeah. So, sexual assault? On himself. Because they did, like, a rape kit, like, on his booty hole and stuff. It's just like, a one-man yeah, show. There was, there was no anal sex He's happening. He's a one-man show. He's a one-man show. So, sexual assault, I say no. Hmm. <laughs> Weirdness, absolutely. Wow. Like, that one, but again, that doesn't necessarily have to be related to what happened. Right. Do they have this case open to where you can get money if you solve it? I don't think so. You, you could probably do it. <laughs> right. Um, another one, crime of passion killed during a consensual act and covered up. Very possible, but the timing bothers me. Right. And then uh, the no defensive wounds. That's interesting. <laughs> like, more questions. You know, wounds all being uniform and angled at the same entry angle, like the knife wounds. They were all, like, almost exactly the same, according to right. the autopsy. Like, same depth, same everything. So clean and perfect, as if he were dead when they happened. But if the blood got into his intestines, he was alive when it happened. So, hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then the knife wounds, they didn't match the knife that was on the scene. Wow. So. Amazing. And that's about all I have for that. Like, there's a lot more wow. out there that w- took forever, so I'm sorry. But, hmm. yeah, the, 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 in that documentary. I think on, you're obsessed with this case. It's interesting. It is. Well, I told you that I had told our friend uh, Heather about it and she'd been texting me ever since that she started watching that documentary. Right. I was like, yeah, that, that shit's crazy. Because it, you, you get kind of frustrated because, yeah, it looks like these guys, but the police, man, like, you didn't investigate any other angle. Oh. Like, I mean, know? that's going to be a recurring theme here. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it is often in our stories. Because so, that's, yeah. that's going to yeah. happen with mine. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Robert Wan. Mm. I'm uh, 
thank God I'm done talking. Wow. That was a big one. That was, I think you broke a record. Yeah, sorry. That you, one went long. You don't have to apologize. Yeah. It's interesting, though. So. If you want to find out more, then, uh, I mean, Smartless would not have it. <laughs> We're better. Yeah, yeah, we've gone too long for them anyway. They don't have that much stamina. Yeah. I'm just trying to egg them on. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, uh, before we start with this one, because this one will have a trigger warning too. This one involves children under the age of eighteen and violent crimes. So, wow, we we really. I'm not going to be like, as you know, we're not going to go like into too much detail. But there's children will be killed in this. And this has nothing to do with how we actually feel about DC. Like DC, I can't wait to go visit again. Actually. Right. Like it was a great time. Well, this was, great was place. this was uh, 70s DC. They hadn't oh. like everybody was chilled out now because everybody's just like high. Yeah. Everywhere you go, it was just weed 70s smell. DC was one of those bad times Dave Chappelle I mean, everybody was talking was high, about. But <laughs> it was just a different thing going on. Right. This is in the 70s. So, um this is the Freeway Phantom. Oh, I've and heard I've yeah. never heard of this. I'd heard of it, but I don't know about it. Um, I'm like, I'm really into true crime stuff. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. if you listen, then you know. Uh, and I've never ever heard of the Freeway Phantom. Yeah, I can't wait to. And learn more. this was probably the first serial killer in DC, if not one of the only. Um, yeah. The the thing the article in one of the things I was reading said the freeway phantom is the name that was given to someone. And I just said, let's face it. It's a man. Okay. <laughs> and probably a white dude. No, probably not, not. in this case. Okay. Maybe not. All right. Um, this is a phantom killer. Or the Phan- freeway phantom. I'm sorry. Killed five girls and a woman over the course of a year and a half in the city of Washington, DC. Wow. Uh, this happened between April, 1971 and September of 72. So as in Chris's, we're going to see some top-notch police work, an overabundance of resources, some excellent, excellent management of evidence and witness information, and we're also going to sprinkle some good old-fashioned racism. Okay. I mean, yeah, the bias against the, the, the homosexual guys, too. It's like, oh, they're, yeah. they're gay, they must be also rapists. Right. <laughs> um, so April 24th, 1971. In D.C., it was the largest anti-war demonstration in the history of the United States. It's when, uh, I mean, you've seen it on television, half a million people came to march on D.C. That's the one entire Forrest Gump speaks in. People were, like, veterans were taking off their their medals and throwing them upon, like, throwing them away, basically. Uh, Another 150,000 people marched in San Francisco as, like, a dual event. So the biggest, right? Uh, The next evening, so April 25th, the southeast part of a city, of the city, sorry, um, a 13-year-old named Carol Denise Spinks was sent by her sister to the store just a half mile from home to get some groceries. Um, she wasn't supposed to go because her mom wasn't at home, but her older sister promised her um, that she could buy a soda with the change. Right. And so she went, and... Uh, a boy in the neighborhood saw her heading back home after she was with the groceries from the grocery store. And uh, then nobody saw her. She <laughs> disappeared. Nobody saw her or the person that took her. Um, her mother got home soon after and obviously was like, where's Carol? Carol should have already been back. She was not back. So uh, her mother called the police and organized a neighborhood search immediately. Uh, unfortunately, six days later, 
Her physically and sexually assaulted body was found strangled on an embankment next to the northbound lanes of I-295. That's just south of uh, Suitland Parkway in Prince George's County and behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Hmm. Okay, so remember the name of that hospital because it comes up again. Okay. Um, Her body was found less than one mile from her home. And she was determined to have been killed two or three days earlier from when they found her body. And she still had food in her stomach. So whoever had taken her, because it was six days from her disappearance to her body was found. Uh, whoever had taken her had kept her alive. Like she, she had eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, she was dressed when they found her, but her shoes were missing. So two detectives were assigned to the case. And they were told, finish this up. Hurry up. Right. You know get it done they had to get back to street work and be ready for if more protests were to break out you know they were kind of wondering what, what was going to happen right you know vietnam era united states dc was yeah probably a lot of crazy shit going on yeah um so after they canvassed the area for witnesses which they didn't find and uh they identified the body they did get one good piece of evidence some green fibers on carol's body that they believed were from a car that was used in the abduction Okay, so a couple months later, July 8th, 16-year-old Darlenia Denise Johnson from Congress Heights was on her way to, on her, way to her uh, summer job at Oxen Hill Rec Center. And she was also heading to Saint Prin- or Prince George's County, and uh, she disappeared. A witness reported seeing Darlenia in an old black car driven by a black man shortly after her abduction, but nothing came of any of that, so... So the same neighborhood where they just found Carol kidnapped and murdered, Levin, like, the same neighborhood gets to go through it again. Um, And for 11 days, they're looking for, uh, what, I'm sorry, Darlenia. An odd name, sorry. It is, I kept, I kept thinking Darlenia. (laughs) Darlenia. And, uh. And after 11 days, the results were the same. She was found badly decomposed with her shoes missing, only 15 feet from where Carol had been found. Uh, Behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Right. And because of the decomposition, they were only able to conclude that Darlenia had been strangled. Hmm. Uh, So, you know, I told you, and you told us first about the top-notch police work. Well, about a week before Darlenia's body was found, an anonymous caller had informed the police that they had seen a body in the location where she was found. But after the police went there and checked, they found nothing. And when I say they checked, they had gone there and searched by driving by and saying, it's all good. I can't see anything from that. I'm in my car. I'm not getting out. I just, nope, I don't see anything. So a week after that, the same caller drove by again and saw the spot, the same body still there. And uh, they told a policeman that they knew and he was off duty and went and found the body hmm. so uh july 27th eight days after darlenia was discovered was discovered 10 year old brenda Fay crockett from the northwest part of the city was sent to the store by her mother for some dog food but she didn't come home two hours later so this is about 9 20 9 30 the phone rang at uh, uh brenda's house Brenda's seven-year-old sister, Bertha, answered, and the family had left her at home while they went to look for Brenda. I don't understand some of this. Hmm. 
we got a seven-year-old. Let's leave her at home <laughs> to answer the phone. You know, the early 70s. Seven was like 18. Then. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, city, city kid, sure. Um, on the phone was Brenda. And Brenda was crying. And she said, a white man picked me up and I'm heading home in a cab. And uh, Brenda said she thought she was in Virginia. And then she said bye and hung up. So, a little bit later, the phone rings again. This time, the stepfather answers. So, I guess he was done searching out there. He's coming back home. Right. Seven-year-old phone service isn't working out, I guess. (laughs) Well, I mean. (laughs) Uh, When he answered, Brenda repeated what she had said before and then said, Did my mother see me? Hmm. Stepfather asked to speak to the man who had her and... uh, when footsteps were heard on the call, Brenda said, I'll see you, and hung up. Hmm. And this didn't really make sense, because she said that she was in Virginia, and like, first of all, it said that it was three, like, it was three hours from D.C. to Virginia. I'm like... I mean, some places in Virginia. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's three hours for, to a lot of places from a <laughs> right. lot of places. But know? I mean, our hotel was in Virginia, <laughs> and we went to D.C. every day. Right. <laughs> and we didn't even spend three hours. <laughs> no. Um, well, we did spend three hours, but not on traveling, but there not back. on traveling. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> authorities believe that she'd been forced to make a call to give inaccurate information to buy time and disrupt the investigation right. by saying it was a white man. It might've been somebody that she knew. Okay. So the next morning at five fifty AM, um, a hitchhiker on us route 50 found Brenda's shoeless body in a conspicuous location in Prince George's County. Perhaps behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital? No, not this time. Uh, But this was near the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled, and there was a scarf around her neck. They also found green fibers. And she had also been bathed, which they thought maybe that was like, maybe she knows, maybe the person knows her, and there's like some sort of respect, quote unquote, in there. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe he didn't mean to. For lack of a better he, word. Maybe yeah. he snagged her and then realized right. that he knew her and he couldn't say, go ahead and go. So he had to do something. Yeah. 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 Um, so investigators, like I said, thought that because she had been uh, found quickly and had been cleaned, like like it wasn't very long after she was kidnapped that they found her like the next day and not like the other people. Right. Um, there may have been some sort of connection with the Crockett family. Or he might have been in his own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Well, for some reason, in the city at this time, people just didn't pay attention, I guess, because on October 1st, a 12-year-old named Ninomisha, Ninomosia, sorry, they called her Nino. There you go. Nino Yates lived in the northeast section of the city. Um, Her father sends her to the store because he was going to the hospital where her stepmother just had a baby. So he was going to the hospital. He sends 12-year-old. 12-year-old, yeah, 12-year-olds were by themselves. But also, you had to have heard about these, like, other girls. (laughs) Oh, right. Yes. Um, Yeah. So she was sent to Safeway around 7 p.m. And uh, she was kidnapped and sexually assaulted and strangled and found dead. Her shoeless body was found three hours later. So real quick on that one. And... He, she was dumped on the side of the road just over the state line of Maryland on Pennsylvania Avenue. Again, they find green fibers on her clothing. 
So they're getting that little bit of information. They're not really right. finding out much. There's probably not a lot of these are young black girls. I don't know if they even like are spending that much time. I, I, I hate to say that, but right? I mean, it's a right. It's a reality. The fact that they found the green fibers seems like a lot, considering right, like, especially then. Yeah, that would know. take actual time to to discover those right. each time. But yeah, um, a witness to Nino uh, Nino's abduction apparently was a somebody had seen her getting into a blue, blue Volkswagen, and that was investigated, but nothing really panned out. <laughs> um. They're not really sure if this guy was dumping bodies over the state line to make the investigation more difficult or for the different agencies or to it was just convenience. He was on his way to whatever. Wherever he happened to be. Yeah. So this is six months in, and by this time, authorities had to conclude that they had a real problem. Oh, yeah. Well, you think? At this point, huh? Six months in, he's already yeah. killed like four girls. I was going to say, the, the fourth body is what turned you on to this, huh? Um <laughs> And they didn't know what to call this because, and here's a Zach fact for you, <laughs> the term and concept of serial killer are commonly attributed to former FBI special agent Robert Ressler, who's one of the founding members of the Mind Hunters. We, we've oh, yeah. all seen the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he used the, ser- the term serial homicide in 1974 in a lecture at a police staff academy in Bramshaw, Hampshire, England. Mm-hmm. And uh, since this happened in 1971, 1974 did not exist yet. So this was they didn't know this word existed. Yeah, those mind hunter guys ended up going around teaching classes all over the world. Yeah, yeah but yeah. this was before any of that. Right. Yeah, this is prior to that. Yeah. I mean, I'd read it, the, a little bit about that. Some guy, of the time, yeah. some of the time frame makes me like forgive some of this because they didn't have what we have now. Well, yeah, you take but for granted what we have. You drive now, by but, and you're like, nobody there, good enough. Right. Like you couldn't get out of your car and like wander over there. That, not that that would right. have made a difference or not. <clears throat> well, it's similar to the, they said they heard an intruder, but that's bullshit. We're going right. with this other theory. Right. <laughs> like, okay. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So at this time, Detective John Rossi tells the press, <clears throat> quote, there is no, there is some reason to believe that there is some connection to some similar deaths, end quote. Wow. Cool. That's. Right. You think? <laughs> like te- young teen girls are going missing? Again? I mean, green fibers, man. Like you're finding um, them. So there's something. And soon after Nino's murder, the first use of the name Phantom or Freeway Phantom was used in the Washington Daily News. And about that time, the FBI joins in. I mean, that writer deserves an award. That's a great name. Freeway Phantom, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's scary. And it's funny because they don't have freeways up there. Freeways are a West Coast thing. Oh, really? What yeah. makes it a freeway? I don't know. No, fair enough. We'll mm-hmm. find out next week, and we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. um, Maybe our veterinarian friend knows. <laughs> right. Maybe our uh, road construction <laughs> fans will tell us. Uh, so it wasn't too long after this that the freeway phantom struck again. It was just a month and a half later. So this is November 15th. Got to say, saw that coming. The first one was in April. So, I mean, this is a lot going on quick. Right. After meeting up with high school classmate for dinner, 18-year-old Brenda Denise Woodard from Baltimore was transferring from one bus to another around 11:30 p.m. and I said based on what we went through in 2024 to try and transfer on the bus I can't imagine what kind of public transportation <laughs> nightmare this must have been in the early 70s <laughs> yeah dude that bus 
wow. the trains are so easy, but the right. bus, I mean, you might as well just grab on the side of one of them and just jump off and then grab another one. Yeah, I mean, I think had it not been raining, we would have fared That's a lot true. better. But That's true. All the fans just... <laughs> Yeah, had, had it not people been everywhere. raining fans. That's right. <laughs> raining, Just throwing themselves at raining us. Raining Sharpies for us to sign. <laughs> I mean, I got a little bitchy in there <laughs> for a while, too, because I was soaked. <laughs> yeah, with with fans. <laughs> with fans. Yes, they soaked us. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Brenda, back to serious stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Brenda never made the transfer on the bus. And, uh, I mean, I, I was going to say, no surprise well, there. Yeah, it's all that we didn't coming. either. Mm-hmm. Um, and six hours later, her body was found in a grassy area near Prince George's County Hospital, and it was along an access route, or an access ramp, sorry, to uh, Route 202 from the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. Uh, she was found with multiple stab wounds, and she'd been strangled. Uh, she was different, though. She'd been stabbed. Uh, at first, they weren't sure if this was another victim of the Phantom. Brenda was the oldest victim, so maybe it was just harder for him to dispatch this one. Right. She had defensive wounds on her face and hands, or maybe he was changing him, his M.O. So they weren't sure at first I if mean, this was the same guy, because she still had her shoes on. I'm like, if you're going to change your M.O., you should have done it before number five. Well, she still had her shoes on, and she had a coat that had been placed over her chest. Hmm. In one of the coat's pockets, investigators found a note. And then they knew that it was from the fa- Freeway Phantom. Because it read, This is tantamount to my insensitive insensitivity, which is misspelled, to people, especially women. I will admit, uh, admit the others when you catch me if you can. Freeway Phantom. I have heard that, the, the catch me if you can. Free, freeway is free-way. And it's written in Brenda's handwriting. And it had been cut from her school notebook, and it was they determined it was dictated and written written by Brenda, dictated too. And she may have had some uh, disorder called dysgraphia, which affects the ability to write. So it was like weirdly written. Hmm. Letters were odd size, and but it, she oh, didn't right. seem like she was in distress when she wrote it. Hmm. So he kept her calm, I guess. Uh, this also gave him a clue. She may have known the abductor as well. Oh, right. Yeah. And I said, funny how they can think of that kind of evidence, <laughs> but they can't get out of the car, you know? Yeah. Right. It's, there's a, this thing we say at work that is a do what's right, not what's easy. <laughs> Getting out right. of the car would have been the right thing to do. Yeah. Right. We, Absolutely. I mean, then, for almost a full year, the freeway phantom just stopped. Wow. Uh, uh, during this time, around June 17th, 1972, a little thing called Watergate happened. <laughs> was Richard yep. Nixon the freeway phantom? Yes. Was the freeway phantom a clumsy, dumb burglar that got caught? Yes. Eh, probably not. Aliens. <laughs> right. <laughs> it did sort of take the FBI out of the investigation to find the phantom, but they get to come back because uh, September 5th, 1972, high school senior Diane Denise Williams cooked dinner for her family, then went to visit her boyfriend. Around 11.20 p.m., she boarded a bus near his house, and a few hours later, her strangled body was found alongside of I-295, just south of the district line. (laughs) Her shoes were removed, but found near the body. There were no signs of sexual assault. They found traces of semen, but they they were later determined to be from the boyfriend. And after that, the phantom again became a phantom. 
as far as I know, never done anything again. Or he died. Or he went to prison. Or he went, yeah. But there's some suspects. Yeah. And this time, you know, usually we just give you one name <laughs> each. You're getting a five for one on this deal. The guys, the same person has five different names. No, or five no, different five people. Different, you're getting the Phantom Free, the Freeway Phantom already. That's your, oh, that's gotcha. your one. Gotcha. And I got right. four others. Here. All right. Robert Askins <laughs> doesn't have the same ring. A A S K I N S. Maybe it's a skins. <laughs> I think he's an ass anyway. Bob Askins. <laughs> yeah, Bob Skins. Bob Askins. Um, <laughs> in March of 1977. Excuse me, 1978. I wrote that wrong. Um, a 58-year-old computer technician, Robert Elwood Askins. They're just going after all the Roberts. Was, uh, oh, was, wait, this is the this same is the guy. same guy, Askins. Yeah. Askins, yeah. <laughs> was charged with abducting, beating, and raping a 24-year-old woman inside his Washington, D.C. home. And they did, he did have the profile they had of the Freeway Phantom. This was, you know, five five years after the Freeway Phantom stopped. Okay. He was a middle-aged black man. He lived in the same area and had deep-seated hatred for women. And that started when he contracted a venereal disease from a prostitute when he was a young man. <laughs> uh, let's see. Homicide detective Lloyd Davis proceeded to question Askins and learned that he had been charged with murder on several previous occasions. Been charged with it? Yes. And he was out. I, I was going to say, but he's not. Raping someone in his house. Huh. On December 28, 1938, Askins, who was then 19, and a member of the science club at Minor Teachers College, served cyanide-laced whiskey to five prostitutes at a brothel, resulting in the death of 31-year-old Ruth McDonald. <laughs> Two days later, on December 30th, he stabbed to death another prostitute, 26-year-old Elizabeth Johnson, at the same place. They let him in. Jesus. I don't know if they would have already pieced together that he'd already. Yeah, maybe they had the cyanide all, hadn't been like, in 1938. Like, I doubt they were doing like cyanide testing well, on 38. It was when he was original. This was when he, this is his backstory. Oh my bad. All yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. This is this is when he was 19. He was 50, gotcha. 58 when they right, arrested right, him later. Gotcha. I, I, I lost track of my time. There, That's all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, upon him being arrested for stabbing the uh second prostitute he declared to the police that he was a woman hater and placed under mental observation at a place called gallinger hospital in washington dc hmm. while in the hospital he broke free of his restraints and assaulted three orderlies with a chair before being subdued wow so you know during his trial i'm sure all that came up because also another thing came up because it was revealed that he was also a police informant that aided law enforcement and the rest of prostitutes. In 1939, April of 39, he was uh, found criminally insane and committed to St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Hmm. Remember, that's where they found the first two victims, Carol Spinks and Darlene yeah. Johnson. Huh. Five months later, in 1952, or five months after being released in 1952, I'm sorry, Askins strangled 42-year-old Laura Cook to death. He was indicted for this murder in 1954, accused of several other assaults, and retried for the 1938 murder, having been determined that he was indeed sane upon committing that act, where he stabbed the initial prostitute. <laughs> he claimed that he intended the cyanide for himself, and planning to, to off himself, Although, and he was finally convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life. 
Okay. That conviction was overturned in 1958, which oh. he was convicted in 1952 I'm or 1954. I'm overturned sorry. shit in 1958. Not for a black guy. <laughs> right. How progressive of them. <clears throat> so after the 1978 rape charge, Askins' home was searched by police in connection with the Freeway Phantom murders. Court documents were found in a desk drawer in which a judge had used the word tantamount, an uncommon word that had appeared in the note dictated by the killer of Brenda Woodward. Furthermore, hmm. colleagues at... Remember, this guy murdered all these people. He now had a job at the National Science Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> and co-workers said that he used tantamount a lot when he talked. Oh, all right. A search warrant was eventually obtained and investigators dug through Askin's home and backyard. They found lots of suspicious things during the search, like scarves, pictures of unknown women and girls, even finding jewelry in his car. But none of that linked him to any of the phantom killings. Hmm. And they were unable to find anything that would have had green fibers or any of the missing shoes from the victims. There's a good note to this, because Askins died in federal prison at the age of 91, unfortunately. He got to live that long. Wow. At, in 2010... After serving sentences for the two uh, abductions and rapes that he was in this in the seventies that he had done, wow. uh, he denied any role in the freeway phantom killing, saying that he didn't have the depra. I'm going to quote him: "Depravity of mind required to commit any of the crimes that the phantom killer did." In oh, in quote, sorry. And I said, sure, the prostitute poisoning, strangling, orderly fighting, stabbing, police informant, insane guy that kept weird amounts of women things and pictures of random females couldn't bring himself to commit, to commit these well, crimes. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's interesting that he... Would. I think that's their... That, that might be their best bet as to who this is. It sure does sound like it. Like, to me, even more so than the three gay men, like, uh, right. I don't know, weird, like... I don't even know what the hell they did to that man. But right, they, weird sex orgy. Yeah, they definitely did it with leather and whips. But um, So another suspect, there are multiple in this, because this is the Green Vega Rapists. Oh. And this was a gang in D.C. that would drive around in a green Chevy Vega okay. and rape. Wow. That's what they did. And I said, I haven't heard of a more accurate name of a gang in my life, because they were the Green Vega Rapists. That's crazy. I mean, that's like Mad Max kind of shit. Right. Uh, they were responsible for multiple D.C. area rapes and abductions and were eventually caught and convicted of some of those crimes. It's probably not too hard to find a bunch of guys driving around in a green Vega. I, mean, I don't know how many there were, but... <laughs> right. A little more rare these days, but even then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Plus, people knew them as that name. If you saw that, what, why would you even get near it? Like, run away. Yeah, I'm going to look it up right now, too. Just so, Oh, right. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was picturing. It's like a sh pre Chevette. Right. It's a little bit bigger than a Chevette. Yeah, I mean, if you know cars. It's got a, a sporty look, but. 70s sport. <laughs> right. So, while they were locked up, all these guys were questioned about the Phantom murders. One gang member, who was named Morris Warren, claimed that another member was responsible for at least some of the murders. He provided information that supposedly only someone with knowledge would know, and even took them to at least three of the areas where victims were found. But um, these were things that were out. 
Right. And if they were into what they were doing, driving around in their green Vega, they might have been like, somebody stepping on our game, or I like what we did, or that's a good place to put people. They right. drive by and don't even look. Get out of the car and right. look there. Or you know, let's say it isn't a serial killer and they're responsible for two or three right. of those murders. You know, we, uh, so let's see what's Morris would say. Uh, would only say names if he was granted total immunity from all of his charges. So the prosecutors <laughs> said no, and uh, after a politician running for office in Maryland told the media that an inmate at Lorton Prison was talking about the phantom freeway or freeway phantom murders mm-hmm. morris declined to do any more talking and even de- denied that he'd ever provided any from inform- information at all so some fucking lusty politician was <laughs> getting a big boner and talking about it and then he shut up i think you described described him as lusty yeah i did <laughs> lusting for the limelight uh some of the info that morris had provided wasn't accurate and some was just inf- information that was publicly available but i mean come on he was going to tell more and you let some asshole ruin it for uh, a time he was an actual suspect but they did find that he had credible alibis for his whereabouts during the murder so he might have just been in this group and like somebody else was talking about it right right Okay, so uh, here's the last two of that five-for-one deal. (laughs) Edward Sullivan and Tommy Simmons. On July 14th, 1971, the body of Angela Denise Barnes, 14. Do these guys go together? These guys are together, yes. Okay. Uh, She was found, uh, Angela Denise Barnes was found dumped next to a highway, but she hadn't been strangled. She'd been shot in the back of the head. She was thought to be another victim of the phantom but in 1974, police made two arrests in her case and announced that her case was not associated with the other freeway phantom killings. Edward and Tommy were rookie cops at the time of the murder, but were forced to resign after an incident involving missing revolvers. Tommy had claimed that his gun had been stolen during a break-in, but was later found and matched the gun that was used to murder Angela. Both were arrested and charged and sentenced. So... It's only because this happened right in that time that initially, right? I don't think that these guys were the guys. I, I believe it was Mister Skins. Yeah, I think I mean, so. I mean, that seems or somebody else. <clears throat> okay. Uh, problems with the investigation: bad evidence or no evidence being collected. Obviously, definitely. Yeah. And these were young black women in black neighborhoods in the '70s in D.C. I'm sure that there's no way that cops would overlook, right. dismiss, or do enough not to try make to it, find evidence. Right. Do enough so that you can say you gave a shit. Uh, right. You know. We, um, because of the multiple agencies, and I found that there's at least seven or eight different agencies that are in D.C. area, just, uh, I guess just in the city limits. That's how you knew all that when we were talking. Plus, earlier. you got like Maryland, Virginia, all these places. Like when you cross over state lines, mm-hmm. and you're looking at state police, local sheriffs, and all. Yeah, this you got stuff. a lot of different things coming together, and it's the '70s, right? Yeah, so, yeah. a lot of things could have been lost, mismanaged, or intentionally lost. Yeah, maybe, or it, maybe it was a cover up for those cops. Jurisdictionally disputed, right? <laughs> um, Plus, I mean, the logistical nightmare of all this stuff during the 70s. Here's another Zach fact for you. The floppy disk, and this is the actual disk that was floppy. Right, the original floppy Was disk. invented in 1971, wow. and the post-it note wasn't even invented until 74, so how would they have even kept track of any of this anyway? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They did have tape and scrap paper, though, right? Yeah, but nobody had thought of putting those together. <laughs> I, I, I used that shit at work. T- like, today I did. I taped a piece of paper to my desk. <sighs> but that's only because you know Post-it notes. If You you would have never thought of right? it before. Well, I also know that Post-it notes come unstuck pretty quickly. The 1970s ones, they were using like <laughs> they were asbestos using, glue or something. Yeah, they were definitely using like the super millimeter or whatever sticky. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever's like you had to spray on with an aerosol can. Right. Like spray most of it into the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, some other problems. Very few samples they have from these cases are old and have probably been tainted or mismanaged. They did do some evidence testing, DNA testing on uh, in 2009, sorry. But since it's still unsolved, I don't think they came to really any final decisions on that, right? Right. Yeah. Although I, I can say I've heard a lot of freeway phantom stuff. God, because I listen to true crime. So I had never heard, never heard about of the story. I just heard of it. I've never heard yeah. of it. Uh, so many of the investigators or members of task forces have retired or died. And no leads have ever provided sufficient evidence for prosecution. Wow. Freeway Fandom case has been closed and reopened several times and is currently open as a cold case with the MPDC. There we go. Came up again. Um, it's in the Homicide Division. And if you were to give them information that leads to the case being solved, there's a $150,000 reward. Wow. Um, I did find. So that's that's the end of that but while i was doing the research on this i uh, came across something really weird Guess and what maybe I just found out maybe a clue okay okay so the names of the victims of the uh F- freeway phantom carol denise spinks darlenia denise johnson brenda Fay crockett ninamoshia yates brenda denise woodard diane denise williams Denise. Seventh victim of this that isn't a victim of the Phantom, but is a victim of named suspect, was Angela Denise Barnes. Huh. So five of the victims have the same middle name, which is Denise, obviously, and two have the same first name, Brenda. Only one of them, Nino, doesn't have one of those names. Weird. I was like, I don't know if that's just like purely coincidental. Like you just realized that. As yourself. I was doing this, I was like, whoa. I think I just found something out. I bet if you look, the, I bet you you can get on Reddit. There could have been people like are talking about that, but. or there could have been like Denise was the most common name for black for children black born girl, 19, yeah, 1958 to nineteen seventy five. Yeah, right. You know, I like, mean, it could be, could but, be. So that's uh, but even so, it's strange. Very, very weird. So it's, I kind of like, well, man, right. it's kind of like that Robert Wong case. Is like, is that evidence or is it just yeah. weird? <laughs> so the freeway phantom. If you know anything about him, get in touch with the Miami or the Miami, the <laughs> Metro mean, Police Department. Yeah, I guess you can get in touch with them yeah. too. Wherever but. you are, call them. They'll link you to them. Yeah, make sure you fifty thousand dollars if you can figure out maybe. I didn't look at the names of the victims. Oh, that's that, why you asked me that because there's like, if you solve it, then there's a, a reward. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should find out how what the names of were the prostitutes that that guy killed if they all were named Denise or something. Right. Yeah. No. I mean that's interesting. Um, they're all so, Denise's. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so this was a long one. It might be our be our longest episode ever. It is probably our longest one, and. Uh, I'll well, blame was, it completely on you. It was the longest break we'd taken, too, so we That's came true. back with a bang. That's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, which is good. We were supposed to be back last week. My fault. 
Well, I mean, I got sick, so kind of my fault, but that's all right. <laughs> but yeah, it is we'll leave it is. I mean, my hand was really tired from all the autograph signing when we were there. This is true. We did have a, a rough. Shout uh, out to DC. Shout out to Granny Zaz. It was. It was a good trip. Like uh, yeah, Granny Zaz. Yeah. Well, that's very true. Anybody out there knows Granny Zaz? Let us know about you. Yeah. We loved it. Yeah, good times. It was um, a great trip, all in all. Might though. I say that the uh, a big boo to half of the places that we tried to go to that were closed after like oh right dark yeah pretty much yeah a lot of things close at dark even there where we were staying yeah it's like it was made buffalo in, wild in wings was closed on <laughs> the night of the national championship football game oh right yeah which right well they were doing like pickup and delivery only yeah or whatever but yeah yeah strange it had and a big full restaurant the, table the, set. one of the bars we were close to had a um Trivia, trivia night, night yeah. going on while the national championship yeah. football game it was, was on. Packed full. I mean, I guess that's the difference of living in a college town and not living in yeah, a, I guess. a college town. You know what I mean? But, but, but there were definitely also people out trying to watch it because we did find that restaurant that we that Mexican slash Salvadoran restaurant, and right. then there were people coming in wanting to watch the game because everywhere else on the street was full. Right. Like we had just played that game. They also so, were the. Uh, worst place to watch a game because they had the little screen with all the like stats and coach cams on the sides right they were watching the cheap version of espn <laughs> right <laughs> yeah whatever version anyway. that is yeah and then uh wait but there was well never mind i was gonna say something else but i forgot what it oh the fedex field like Boo. what the hell if you take the metro to fedex field y'all gotta walk a mile oh, yeah but you'll get to like <laughs> walk through the biggest cloud of uh medicinal mar- medicinal oh smoke God. you've ever been through well that's i was telling somebody at work today everywhere you went smelled like marijuana you never saw anybody smoking it oh th- yeah but that place <laughs> when you walk out of that train station oh that one especially it was like it was, holy crap if it was indoors it'd have been the biggest place that looked like a uh cheech and chong i still car. think they were just pumping it out of the ventilation Might system or something like it was to pretty make, chill everybody out because they had to walk uphill <laughs> right. three miles yeah, to let's the get everybody high before they start walking up the block yeah <laughs> anyways but yeah everybody in dc awesome yeah cool yeah. times yep thanks for for hosting us yeah uh, we appreciate all the podcast stars we are <laughs> that's right bigger than smartless yeah, yeah. anyways so uh organdonor.gov Give them up. That the dot gov means government. Yeah, we were just near it. Guess what? I just found we waved out. it. We waved at the president. <laughs> we, n- no, we didn't. Yeah, well, we did. yeah, yeah, we did. We, we, we don't know if he saw us, but we're still waiting on word. He was he was on the way to the helicopter. He might have like given us a <laughs> right a dab or something. Anyways, yeah. So thanks again, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.